Welcome to the podcast M&A War Stories. You're joined by your hosts, Robert Heaton and Toby Tester. Each week, we walk through our experiences of M&A projects where we've been involved and we unpack the good, the bad, and the ugly. Our purpose is simply to leave you with valuable lessons that you can use in your M&A projects. So let's not waste any more time and get this podcast underway. Hey, Toby, how are you? Good, good, Robert. How are you going uh, in Melbourne? Uh, we're okay. We're all right. It's, um, You're it's, not in lockdown, I take it. No, well, depends how you define lockdown these days, but um, yeah. we're, we're, we're okay. You know, we're, we'll get there. Um, <laughs> there's no point you, you, no point going on about this because you just keep saying the same old things. And, indeed, you know, indeed. It's, well, it's, of course, it is lockdown here in Sydney, and uh, we're yeah. hoping to come out of it at the end of this week, but, you know, you never know. It all comes down to case numbers. Um, yep. So, yeah, this is the situation we're in, and, um, you know, that's what we have to live with. It's any help, and I'm sure it won't be, but um, our experience here in Melbourne has been that when the politicians stand up and yeah. start talking about the fact that there's increased case numbers, yeah. that's almost coding for, oh, and by the way, sometime around about Friday afternoon, we'll tell you the lockdown's being extended. <laughs> okay, good. Well, well, um, which is so, what happened so, here in Melbourne. Something to look forward to, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Anyway, now, yeah. Uh, continuing the doom and gloom. <laughs> yeah, um, indeed. So we did a positive podcast last week, and I haven't edited that yet, and I'm going to go back. I wasn't that happy with it, but we'll see. Mm. And if, it, if it's mm. good, we'll, I'll publish it. Yeah. But we're going to continue on the track of big deals that have gone wrong. That's right. And um, for those people that are listening – um, I'll, I'll get you to use your imagination because Toby and I were talking about this a moment ago and he described it with three words. The first word was monumental and the last word was up and I'll let you fill the gap. <laughs> <laughs> monumental and up. Yeah, <laughs> and I'll let you between. fill in the gap. Uh, but but I, this, is, uh, this is the merger stroke acquisition between... AOL and Time Warner, Toby. That's correct, correct, isn't it? Yes, it is. So, do you want to set the scene for us and kick it off? I will, will, Rob. And I don't know if you remember this one, because we we are going back in time now. This is around uh, 1999. Um, And I do remember this one. This was widely reported. Um, Uh, I would agree with that, because I was was actually in Germany at the time, living in Germany. Yeah. And... um, it was widely being touted around the tech industry then. It was, mm. it, you know, it was one of those deals that's the deal. You almost expect to see it flashed up on Times Square in New York. It's that yeah. big. It, it was certainly a massive, massive deal. Yeah. Uh, just a very, very brief, just quick, very quick background, just, just a minute or two. Uh, it happened, this deal was about um, over 20 years old now, um, and it was the merger of America Online, AOL, yep. with Time Warner. And it was the value, the value of the deal was incredible, $350 billion. Um, so I'm not too sure in the scheme in the scheme of like how big a deal was that the biggest ever, but it's right up there in the Lots stratosphere of, of um, big deals. Yeah. Um, it's it, it featured everything. This one, you know, from apart from overpaying to massive cultural differences, 
Um, and, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, two large media companies who just weren't sure where the media landscape was heading. And it was a, it was heady times, you know, um, that if we cast our minds back. Um, it was, you know, because it, internet, you know, people were discovering the internet at the time. We remember this is really the early days of the internet. And um, it was, well, this is this 1999 was really the, it was when the dot com, dot com, era was accelerating rapidly absolutely massively yeah you know um technology was the thing to be in yeah right and and everybody was looking at ways to leverage this internet technology that was going to give them access to the world's population i think you really hit on the head right you know it's like an extraordinarily exciting moment in time where they think oh my god we could do so much here, you know, with uh, the internet. If you remember, there were so many companies coming out of into existence, you know, new companies yep. at the time. And then we had this. And just to say, you know, very quickly, $350 billion, the acquisition. Um, so the um, the deal was signed in uh, the beginning of two th- the year 2000. And um, just two years later, the merged entity um, of AOL and, Amer- and uh, Time Warner reported a uh, $99 billion loss. Right. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, so, so just two a, years. <laughs> so a 30% write down almost. Well, yes. Well, this was, I, I don't know the in accounting sense, but that's, that's the old reported results of the commercial yeah. entity at the time. So yeah. it made a massive loss. And I'll go into the detail, but I just wanted to sort of set the scene. 350 bit 20 years ago, $350 billion acquisition. And then two years later, there were, there were you know, part, no synergies were occurred at all. And a report of the $99 billion loss. And the question is as well, what happened and how did it all go so wrong? Yeah. Now, what we're going to go on to talk about is that uh, there were mistakes or missed opportunities uh, with this deal. And we keep revisiting these same issues time and time again. And I won't steal your thunder. Why yeah. don't we just lay out the outline of the two companies to kick off so people yeah. can start to see yeah. what the dynamics of the two players were? Yeah, and, I, you know, it's funny. Um, you know, get, We're going back in time here. A lot of people probably don't know who America Online is. But, of course, you know, when you're going back into the 90s, well, who didn't know who America Online was? It really was one of the fastest-growing businesses. Um, yeah. Started off in 1983. Um, its products were in um, um, game consoles. Uh, that's yeah, they were. Originally. It, the, uh, Atari, the Atari console. That's right. That's right. Yep. And, uh, you know, it, as we go into the 90s, it was growing very rapidly. And one of the early pioneers of the internet. And if you remember, Rob, it was like, um, you know, that, that dial-in service. You know, you go in yep. and you you dial into America Online, and that was basically your internet. You know, that's, you you know, um, you, you got in, you, you dialed in, and you had access to all these chat rooms and um um, messagings and bulletin boards and forums and uh, old old people like you and I will fondly remember the barrage of uh, beeps and bings and bubbles and whatever <laughs> that you used to get that confirmed that you were connected. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
you know. Well, it was doing so, incredibly well, and its strategy was to make online services available to everybody and accessible to the mass market, yep. making them affordable, easy, useful, fun. And, you know, it was getting yep. there, you know, it was growing rapidly, you know, um, in terms of, you know, the uh, number of subscribers, um, you know, oh, yeah. it, it was a global yep. business, doing incredibly well. People have often said that AOL was essentially the early uh, sort of social media because they mm. were going to use their communications capabilities mm. to interact with people globally. Yes, yes. yes. You know, long before chat rooms and WhatsApp and all that sort of stuff became available, AOL mm. were actually pioneers of that. Mm, mm, indeed. You know? Now, the other party, and I don't think really did the introduction here, Time Warner, um, yep. You know, who, who doesn't know who Time Warner is? You know, all you've got to think about is, you know, um, you know, home box office, Warner Brothers, yep. Turner exactly. Broadcasting, you know, I mean, yep. you know, um, <laughs> motion pictures, cable TV, news, magazines, books, yep. music, online services, you know, I mean, it, it had a lot, um, you know, to it. Um, that entertainment industry of film, video, you know, broadcast yeah. was was their baby. Time Warner were probably the number one slot in that market space. It was, yeah. So you know, and um, you know, in its new manifestations, of course, it, it's, it remains to this day. Um, and, and again, and again, talking about technology, yeah. their primary uh, uh, delivery capability was through cable, cable TV. Indeed. And this was all kicked off with Ted Turner, of course, you know, who was the majority shareholder. Yep. You yep. know, and, uh, and CNN, of course. That's correct, yeah. So, so, so okay, so we've got, we've got uh, basically American Online, a technology-driven business, early days of the internet. Yep. Uh, right fast. in the middle of the dot boom, growing yep. fast, you know, yep. got a vision for connecting with people worldwide. Yep. And we've got Time Warner, which basically owns the film, video, you know, entertainment sort yep. of industry. Cable TV, yeah. Uh, with all of its products. and, yep. and you, Okay, so yep. that's the two businesses. Hmm you can start to sort of see the idea of, okay, well, if you took that and used AOL's delivery mechanism on a subscriber basis, you could sort of see some sense in that. But yep. I'll let you carry on. So where do we yeah, go Yeah, just, just I, th- I think uh, just just mention who the key people are. On the Time Warner side, the CEO at the time was uh, Gerald Levin. And he, he was a long-term employee, uh, you know, started off working in um, HBO and then eventually becoming CEO of the organization. And then yeah, on the American Online case, you got um, Stephen Case. He was the co-founder yeah. of uh, American Online. So, neither, so neither, of, neither of which are introverts, we might add. No, no they never are at this level, to no. be honest, Rob. You know? no. <laughs> anyway, goes, they had a good, they had bigger than the Titanic. They, they met, you know, and I think it was around the time of the Tiananmen Square, in actual fact, you remember that then, and they mm-hmm. met and had several meetings. Um, you know, um, in China and also in the United States, and they developed a good relationship. And between those two, a deal was formulated. But let me go into the story properly um, and just explain. So um, I should say that AOL was was plotting, was looking for an acquisition, um, 
um, you know, because it, it's, it's, its uh, stock was highly priced at the time and it was looking for a big acquisition. Um, it wanted to, what, what AOL wanted to do, it wanted to, to uh, combine with a traditional um, company and create what they would refer to as the company of the future, a company mm-hmm. that kind of bridges the old with the new. It's the traditional main organ, you know, company with with strong um, viewing audiences, many products and services, and then obviously the internet and the right. internet as in American Online. And without stealing your thunder, yeah. you can, uh, at a high level, you can start to see how AOL's you know, dial-up capability and Time Warder's products, in yeah. theory, would fit together. Yeah, it sounds good. You can you can certainly um, put a good narrative together. You know, it was a kind of a dream. Um, yep. You know, and that's that's what they said. And you know, they they um, you know the deal. They they agreed the deal, and um, um, you know, it was announced um, at the beginning of um, January two thousand, and due diligence kicked off. And they did the usual um, due diligence, as you'd expect, um, around this uh, deal. I'm not they, sure they did. I'm not sure they did. We'll, we'll, go, into, we'll go into that. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I was going to say, because I, there was some due diligence, but I'm not sure that it was comprehensive. Well, as always. <laughs> okay. I haven't explained what the problems are yet. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I just, just tell the story. And it was announced um, to, to, you know, to everybody that, you know, it was the merger of equals. Um, yep. um, which is sometimes a suspicious term, right, mind you, but yeah, that's how it was announced. <laughs> um, and um, American Line what, was a more valuable business at the time than Time Warner. And so AOL would own 55% of the new company and uh, Time Warner 45%. Okay. And the announcement was hailed as a momentous coming of age for the internet and the triumph of the new economy, Okay. I should say these are the words that I'm using that were expressed at the time. These are not my words. But I shall quote directly. Um, I think this was from uh, Steve Case who who said this. This is a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to turn promise into reality. We're creating a unique new company that has unparalleled assets and the ability to have a profoundly positive impact on society. What do you do? (laughs) (laughs) Pretty big. Pretty pretty, big. Okay, so far I can yeah. buy that. Okay, there, there was a lot of rich narrative here, um, lots of you know large words and and that sort of thing. At a, at a high level, you could see people sort of going, "Yeah, this is this looks like a good idea." <laughs> Weird, yeah. yeah. Um, now let me just move on a bit. Um, let's go to the the deal was actually done um, yep. at the beginning of two thousand. Okay, and I don't know if you cast your mind back. Uh, Rob, what actually also happened in that year, 2000, apart from Y2K, um, what happened at the beginning of that year, early on? Well, I was hosting the Rolling Stones for a concert in Las Vegas, but other than that, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I should say the dot-com bubble burst. Yeah, it did. I was actually personally, funny enough, you were the hunter, I was actually... In um, Utah, um, I was in the United States at the time, yeah. And um, I remember switching on the television. I think it was in the hotel, and just hearing the news that you know the um, you know the dot com bubble, as we refer to it, was had, had burst, 
And that, you know, the valuations of companies would, you know, stock, stock market, uh, I think it was the NASDAQ, you know, plummeted. Yep. And so for AOL, it really meant that online advertising, you know, suddenly tanked. And, um, you know, AOL quickly realized it wasn't going to be able to make the, meet the uh, financial forecasts on which this deal was based. Right. So that was one big thing that happened. Now, another big thing that happened at this time is that, you know, I should say that, you know, AOL, its fundamental business model was on a dial-up service. That's how it, it, it that's how it, its business model worked. That's how its pricing and subscription model worked. Um, but, of course, at that time, we started getting high-speed internet access, you know, Absolutely. online. And we're, yep. we were beginning to, that was beginning to happen then, you know, and so that was beginning to take place. So that was a direct threat to AOL's business model. And I'll just say it was very much happening at that time. So I was at corporate headquarters in SAP in the year 2000, Mm -hmm. and we were already broadcasting our leadership. So the chairman and various other people Mm -hmm. were um, being broadcast to all of our offices worldwide on a real-time internet link mm. in year 2000. So we're mm. not talking – dial-up was, was gone and done and dusted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we're, we're talking real-time internet links yeah, in yeah. year 2000. Yeah, well, it, was com- it was to be honest, Rob, it was coming on very quickly. I mean, people – it was a no-brainer, really. Um, so where, 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 and where, if and where possible – People were moving to um, you know um, you know broadband um, high speed internet access. And this, prob- this this probably isn't associated with the story, but we talked previously about Kodak and their failure to see digital photos coming. Yeah, yeah. Um, is there a bit of this with AOL? Did they well, fail possibly. to see? I, I certainly haven't investigated this. And to be honest, you know, like all these deals, they're multifaceted. Um, there could yeah. be an element of that, not 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 seeing it. Um, but that's not the real. I mean, but I don't think that's the real. That's, that's not the real why, issue, is it? I don't think no. it's a real issue here with this particular deal. Um, and yeah. you know, yes, there are other problems occurring, and I'm talking about it now. But I don't think it's the crux of why this deal was such a bad deal. Right. So, so what, what we do know is that within a few years of this deal being done. It was a goodwill write-off of ninety-nine billion. There was, there was, yeah. Um, yeah so that that's um, <laughs> that was um, massive, and um, you know, and I should say that the whole merger was dissolved. They decided that you know this merger does not work in any shape or form, and it was actually dissolved in two thousand and nine. And when you look, and back in two thousand and nine, the two, the combined values of the companies was about one seventh. Of their worth on the day of the merger, wow! So one yep. seventh of three hundred fifty billion dollars. I haven't done the sums, but you know, oh. you know three hundred yeah. fifty divided by seven. 50 that billion. is, yeah, that is that is very very low. Yeah, seven times reduction. Yeah, and That's... Ted Turner, who is the largest shareholder, with deep bitterness, personally lost eight billion dollars. Wow. Now. I should so look. I think what I've just explained is very quickly. You know, the deal occurred um, immediately went south as soon as the deal was completed. Um, lots of problems. I should say that American Online also was um, improperly inflating its advertising revenue, which was another problem in itself. Um, <laughs> that was another one. But the bit that it, it 
wrote, found, found itself doing a write-off, as you say, 99 billion, and then the, the merger was finally dissolved, 2009. Now, that, that piece about improperly inflating their advertising revenue, yes. you know, that goes back to what I was saying last week and also what I've reflected on on my time in the software industry where mm. revenues, you know, whether you want to call it creative accounting or whatever it yes. might be, but yeah. revenues were inflated in order to impress Wall Street. Yes, yes. And, and you know, when they got found out, the whole thing literally fell apart. Mm, and, mm. There were, you know, there were some serious issues there. But again, so, so far we've got the ideas being good. Mm. The mergers taken place. There's been some major problems. So what are the core problems that cause this deal to go so sour? Okay, well, the problems um, that, you know, what I've, when I, when I was doing the research on this particular deal, the uh, problems, um, kind of them, kind of obvious, but let, let's, let's pull it out. Uh, culture. Um, integrating an old media company with a new media culture. Um, you know, what, again, what on earth could possibly go wrong with that? I know it's like different species, you know, um, and really and truly, they did not see it eye to eye, naturally, but there was no, there's no sense of like, um, you know, ultimately they started hating each other, really. Um, you know, totally, totally different companies, totally different. This is um, interesting. This is interesting. I'm just going to pause for a second because mm. I've seen this time and time again. Mm. Uh, you have CEOs at the very top of the monkey tree mm. who actually get on well together mm. and sit down and formulate a deal. Mm. Even though the relationship between the two CEOs is good, mm. it stops there. And the That's minute right. you get into the businesses themselves, yeah. uh, there's, there's, there's no, no real good relationships all the way down through their organization the structure. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, yeah. you know, so you have to pin this one directly on culture. And tangential to that, you know, the problems is that when they did the due diligence, the due diligence, we went through the typical thing, you know, financial, legal, and... Um, other things, but never really looked at culture. It never, they never looked at. It. They never yeah. actually asked the question. You know, is this a good cultural fit? I'm That's amazed. I'm amazed at how many deals have just simply ignored mm. cultural issues mm. during due diligence. It is. Um, it is. So, it's gobsmacking. Yeah. So if you're going to pin one thing, you know, one thing, culture really stands out very, very big here. But, of course, in relationship to that, the problem was it was fundamentally the business model because no one could quite figure out what the business model actually was. You know, um, you know what, what, was this, what was this intended business going to look like? There was a lot of lofty language at the time, you know, about how the two would work together and, you know, merge of equals and what have you. But there was no clear model as to, in a business sense, the, how this is actually going to work. And, yeah. and and I should say that America Online's own business model was beginning to get attacked severely because at the time they were the king of the dial-up internet world, but that was being supplanted very, very quickly by much faster broadband. Yeah, yeah. Like, like I just said, you know, year 2000, yeah. I was part of a team that was regularly broadcasting uh, to the SAP world using yeah. um, broadband, high-speed internet, uh, real-time, you know, uh, real-time mm. video. Mm. Uh, so indeed, yeah. So, so there were the problems, Rob. You know, culture, due diligence, and business model. 
would, I would even go as far as saying there's a fourth, and I don't think, you know, what we've been talking about, there was no vision here, really. Not, well, not an articulated say, yeah, vision. I, I was going to say, and this kind of relates to the business model idea, and it's to say, well, what, you know, if you're going to say, you know, what the lessons you draw from this, um, you know, um, well, you know, if you're going to have a business model, you have to have some sort of vision that's going to drive this whole thing, you know. Um, you've got to have two. You've got to have, I mean, when, when you've got a deal, you've got to have a vision. You've got to be able to mm. have a clear vision, don't you? Exactly. And, Look, I, you're gone. And you've, you've got to be able to integrate that vision. Now, indeed, I, I know you're, indeed. because you've done some research here and there's lessons from, uh, the AOL founder that you've found on this. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to make a comment because if anybody ever gets an email from me, there's a, a quote on the bottom that I think is what you're just about to talk about. Yeah. The quote on the bottom is uh, from Colin Powell, yeah. uh, and it is strategy equals execution. All the great ideas and visions in the world are worthless if they can't be implemented rapidly and efficiently. Yeah. So true, so true. I think that's the core of what you found with um, Steve uh, Case's. Very, very much because, you know, you, what you've done is you paraphrased what Steve Case, the AOL founder, he was interviewed on this a um, number of years ago about, you know, what lessons he learned. And he, 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 had, he had said that. He said, first of all, clear vision. He said, you know, he said there needs to be a common vision with a team embrace with, um, you know, everybody being aligned around it. And... I had seen what he said is I'd seen the success of AOL really was having a clear vision of having a team that was kind of very aligned on a passion about it, but that didn't they didn't have that for this merger. Yeah, you know they yep. didn't have the clear vision, they didn't have the team aligned, and they didn't have the passion. Okay, and the other thing that Steve Case himself said is that. You know, you you've got to be able to execute the idea is so important, and that's directly what Colin Powell said with your quote. Um, you know, you know, no, I don't need to expand upon it. You know, clear vision. You got to have that vision. You got to have the plan and ability to execute. It, there's there's a famous quote or sentence I can't remember it at the minute about um, driving to a destination uh, mm. without knowing what what your destination's got to be I, yeah. I can't remember it but essentially you know any idea yeah has to be communicated in a, a vision of some sort yeah. that gets people excited mm. and then you've got to have the detail behind that as to how you're going to put it into action yeah indeed indeed yep. if you can't make it work mm. then it's to my point it, it's um worthless Mm, mm. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. So, you know, so a couple of lessons there, which you've, you know, pretty much what you said, strategy equals execution. All the great ideas and visions in the world are worthless if they yep. can't be implemented rapidly and efficiently. And Steve Case himself said, where we went wrong with this one is we didn't have the clear vision and we didn't have the plan to execute. Now, I have my own takeaway lesson. When I look at this entire deal, I think what they missed out on and it's a mistake, I think, that was made here and I think gets made on other deals and even happens to this day. And that is this whole notion of capabilities. Um, you know, Tell me what was, you mean by that. Okay. So the thing about, um, you know, when you look at all the deals in the past that have always been successful, it's always on a case of 
being able to utilize leverage capabilities. And when I say capability, it means things that a company happens to be good at, you know, whether it's a combination of people, process, technologies, it's something that you're good. And the idea is you try and create a capabilities fit between the acquirer and the target. Yes. So the key question is, and what uh, um, AOL should have been asking is, what are the capabilities that we, that on, on AOL side, capabilities on Time Warner, and how would you fit those together? Um, Great. You know, and it's it's a pretty, it's the it's the basis upon which M&A is successful. You know, you've got to take a capabilities approach. A lot of organizations don't, and at their peril, do they, um, um, you know, do they find out for themselves that, well, it's it's you know. the core. It's the core basics because essentially, when you take the capabilities of, let's say, the two companies that are looking to mm. merge or, or acquire or whatever, um, it's through that that you actually produce the vision of what it can is. be achieved, and okay. it's from that that you actually derive the value. Exactly, vision is not a lofty. These are not lofty words or narrative. It's very no, much no. driven by sort of a. A deeper looking under the hood of a car, so to speak, to say, well, look, when you're developing strategy, when you're screening businesses, when you're doing the valuation and doing the due diligence, you've got to ask about the capabilities. You know, what are the target's unique capabilities? How do the target's capabilities differ from our own? To what extent can our products and services and things we do leverage the target's capabilities, as in um, uh, time yeah. order? And how do you preserve and integrate um, the, those, those capabilities so you don't lose them? You know, yep. Um, yep. you know, so, you know, particularly with entrepreneurial firms or whatever, you don't want to lose them. And then, you know, how do we deploy and execute a combined set of capabilities? Now, when you start thinking like that and you take that view and that kind of analysis, you would see very, very clearly that this particular deal between American Online and Time Warner should have been called off mm-hmm. because there was no fit. Uh, agreed. And uh, everything you just talked about is all of those criteria that you use to uh, communicate your vision to external audiences, to your yeah. internal employees, to yeah. your shareholders, yeah. to the public at large, to, you know, everybody. Yeah. Um, and if those things are missing, it's got to be a big warning flag that says, well, are we sure this is going to work? Yeah, exactly. They hadn't. I think in this case, they just didn't do their homework. Well, it clearly didn't. Yeah. Now, you've got some takeaways, I think, from this. Yeah, so, so what are your summaries? My summary here, and I'll take the two from Steve, which is basically your quote, um, uh, Rob. You know, vision. You know, you've got to have a vision like all things. You know, it's got to get the team aligned, get the passions going, but you've got a clear direction. Yeah. Um, so have that. You've got to have a plan. So, you know, when you've got a vision, you've got to have the ability to execute. Um, so pretty straightforward. And the third is capabilities. And I say to this, always please, people listen to this, always take a capabilities approach to M&A. Um, look it up, Google it, um, look about how capabilities and the capabilities drives M&A. There's a number of topics written, it's written plenty about by Bain, plenty about strategy and co um, and booze. Um, it's a well-known and well-understood way of approaching M&A, but it's ultimately a successful approach. And you know what? Uh, I don't think anybody listening to this podcast would disagree with you. And yet, 
a $350 billion deal still managed to ignore all three of those. <laughs> well, um, they, those were heady times. You just got to cast, you know, see, you got to be at that time, you know, not, you know, in 1999, uh, you know, um, well, you know. I, part of me can understand it. You know, part of me, the back of my brain is hearing you shouting, deal fever. Um, yeah, there know, was because fever. there was there's some element to that in here. There, there is deal fever, yeah. yeah. There's, there's a picture that's been defined by two CEOs over dinner, which in principle, or at least at the base level, could have had some uh, sense to it. But there's a complete disconnect then from that to actually then being able to describe that picture mm, in a mm. clear vision that everybody understood and can be passionate mm, about. Right. And then they just didn't have there – there's no integration plan uh, as to how they were going to achieve it. And then, as you say right at the beginning of this, massive, massive culture differences. So, yeah, massive, again, yeah. lots of traps in this deal – Mm-hmm. Any one of which could have caused loss of value and stopped the thing in its track. And, and here we've got a combination of the very basic principles that you apply to M and A being mm. being missing. Indeed, indeed. And to be honest, I suppose, I suppose, Rob, you know, the reason why we do these stories would be just remind ourselves and also our listeners that you know these basic principles. You don't don't lose sight of them. You know, uh, we no. we. We touch on each one of them, you know, all the time when we do these stories, but you can't lose sight because obviously if you're driving a major deal, always realise that there are gotchas here and this is what we're talking about now. These are all gotchas that actually happened um, and led to significant loss um, for these organisations. We we could go on and talk about this more and more if we wanted to because what's just popped into my head was, again, from a previous podcast, is, okay, Mm. fine. Where was the board in all of this? Where's the usual governance processes, the, the yeah. checks and balances, the sure, sure. you know, and and so on and so forth. But anyway, uh, yeah. we we know those issues. Yeah. So I should I should say that you know this has been this is one of these uh, this is real case study stuff. It's taught in the business schools. This one, um, it's right up there, along with HP and autonomy. The other one we talked about. Um, so, you know, people who are looking or, or working in M&A should know this story well and should know um, the the lessons from it. And, of course, books have been written on it as well. Oh, I bet. Um, well, as usual, Toby, that's a great one. Okay. Um, and I'm sure uh, our listeners are going to uh, enjoy stepping through that one and uh, some of the traps that were evident for both businesses. Mm. Um and uh, I think what that brings us to a nice close. Some great lessons there from takeaways from you. And uh, I think uh, we can call that a wrap. Uh, we will definitely be back next week with another M&A story. And uh, we'll see what that one turns out to be. I think that's uh, my turn this week to find something, which I'll do. Uh, and other than that, uh, it's uh, our usual duty to say bye for now. <laughs>